1: Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, the host, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I look forward to joining you every Wednesday so much to share incredible stories with people who've come through their grief to find their passions. Today, my guest is Lena Tevanez-Jones. Lena is a writer, motivational speaker, and spiritual mentor. She lives with her two daughters in Westchester, New York. Originally from Normandy, France, Lena moved to the U.S. in 2001 to begin a new life and pursue her dreams. She earned an associate degree in liberal arts from Brigham Brigham Young University in Idaho and earned her life coach certification through the World Coaching Institute. Lena is a regular contributor to the inspirational blog Live Through the Heart and the the lifestyle e-magazine Greenwich Girl. Her articles have been featured on Women. For one dot com and Elephant Journal. As a motivational speaker, Lena holds monthly lectures in Westchester and holds a weekly teaching spot on the spiritual radio show Awakening Together. She's the founder of A Course in Miracles Live, a digital network for spiritual seekers and students of metaphysics. From Ashes to the Moon, her memoir on abandonment, abuse, and spirituality is scheduled to be published summer 2015, and you can find her at Lina, L-Y-N-A, Jones.com. Welcome, Lena.
2: Thank you, Cheryl. I am honored to be here with you and to be able to share my story with all of you. Thank you.
1: You are so welcome. I'm happy to have you. You know, sometimes I have a guest who's lived through many losses, not uh, not just one, and that seems to apply to you. Um, but it also does seem like you've come through those losses to make something um, very inspiring. From your life and kind of follow your your own way. Can you share with the listeners some of how your life looks, what kind of work you do? I've obviously read your bio, but um, I think you can you can uh, deepen that picture a little more.
2: Yes. Um, so today, I through my work, you know, through my work as a writer, as a motivational speaker, and also as a spiritual mentor, I get to lead others, to really transform their internal life so that they can create a life on the external that they dream of, so that they can really feel empowered to create a life that they deserve to live in spite of what might have happened in the past and also taking the previous losses and anything that might have pained them in the past and really making, making it a source of strength, a source of power, and a source of wisdom so that they can move forward being stronger, wiser, and more confident as well.
1: So, you're you're a metamorphosis facilitator. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Thank you. I will, I will remember that. <laughs> well, that's of course what this show is all about. Kind of taking our deepest and most difficult experiences and and uh, giving ourselves the message we can use them towards something once we've, once we've uh, kind of dealt with them. Yes.
2: Right. Yes. And, um, and my, my, my first and foremost uh, role in someone's life in my clients or, you know, my really willing to awaken the power that is already within them, you know, because it's not something that I offer them. It's something that's already within every single one of us is our purpose or mission or self actualization already exists within every single individual My role is to inspire that power to come forth and give them, you know, the support and inspiration to step forward into that strength that they already possess, but that they do not realize they have yet.
1: And so I I always think that when someone uh, teaches with a lot of passion, it must be something they've discovered about themselves. So... Could it, would it be fair to say that you've found that kind of mission, passion, authentic voice in yourself as well? Absolutely. Now, you know, it really, um, it came
2: after numerous losses, but um, this pivotal moment in my life when I realized my life is not working. I am hitting the darkest rock bottom that I've ever experienced. Now, mind you, I had already lost my great grandparents who had raised me until I was 12. I had gone through no, number, numerous years of mental and emotional abuse. Um, I had gone to my second divorce. I had uh, left my faith behind, and I had lost all my friends. And then I realized something else. There must be a bigger purpose. So I prayed for nearly six months to be guided. And then one day I came across an amazing teacher. Her name is Gabrielle Bernstein. And it was as if something was triggered in my mind. I became open to infinite possibilities. And for the first time of my life, I realized that every single pain I had gone through was actually for me. It had not happened to me, but it had happened for me. When I realized that everything that was happening was for my ultimate good and that my thoughts were really what made my experiences good, sad, miraculous, extraordinary, or depressing, everything began to change. I began to be awakened to that love that I had towards others unconditionally. I began to experience that passion that I had to share that gift and to help people change their perspective on their own life and on their own losses. And then just experiencing that love and that passion, and and people began to feel it, and they began to transform their lives, and I realized this really works. Why ah. not <laughs> so today,
1: you know. You know that's so familiar to me that that idea that you that you bump up against something over and over, certainly trying to change, yes, and trying to come to terms with things, but it seems as if it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't move. And then suddenly there's kind of a whoosh and you're in a new place. Kind of like you've come to the bottom of the arrow glass. You've come through the, you know, right. the, you've come through the, the tight part to something different. And then it, it, uh, the word that comes to me is you, you feel kind of illuminated. Yes. Would that capture your experience there? Absolutely. You know, um, that really was the dark night of the soul for me. And what I have
2: done all these years, you know, for the first 32 years of my life, I had continuously been seeking for external sources to heal myself, external sources of happiness, of inner peace, of fulfillment. But it wasn't until I finally found the strength and was almost forced by the universe to turn inward and look at my main source of discomfort, my main source of pain, and also realize that that same source of pain that was within me, also a source of infinite compassion, of infinite love, and that love that I've been seeking in external ways, in romantic partners, in other individuals, had been within my heart all along, and that changed my life, because I realized that I no longer needed to be needy, or to be manipulative, or to be controlling of anybody else's life, because everything that I needed was already within me. And from that vantage point, your life can really transform because you become an empty bowl of rice, as they call it in the, uh, in the East. You become an open vessel, a clear vessel to really be of service and to find your calling. And it wasn't until then, until I was able to be that clear and open vessel, until I was able to connect with that internal teacher, with that loving voice within me that was guided to that new life, that was guided to that new mindset that helped me transform my life and also assist others in their transformative
1: journey. I, the the part that really uh, stood out for me there too, Lena, is the idea that you do really have to uh, kind of burn to the ground in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of us don't invite that kind of um, intense change until we're really we have no other choice. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, got to the um, point where it was it was kind of unavoidable. Definitely, because I think I was in so much pain
2: um, that it was not avoidable. And I really believe that when we when our mind finally becomes willing to surrender our pain, when we hit such a dark area, dark region in our life, well, I please, God, universe, whichever spiritual in our figure makes the most sense to you when you found they are willing to surrender everything like you just show me the way i can no longer take this pain please guide me don't you are willing to surrender that then the universe cannot come in and guide us because because of the law free will and also it is to your point it is so very important to be become aware of our darkness to become aware of our wounds because anything that we repress we will become projected outward in ways that we don't even consciously realize. It will always come back out to a different door until we we deal with the wounded parts of ourselves.
1: So it sounds as if you would never want someone to try to bypass, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. to transform. I guess in a way we're saying you can't transform something that isn't, that isn't actually there and, and acknowledged. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, Until you're aware
2: of something, it's going to be remain uh, hidden into the profound levels of your consciousness, mm. and it will, you know, it will control your life without you realizing it. Uh, and in order for darkness to be healed, it has to be brought up to the light. And that's all it is. The darkness is just simply a lack uh, a lack of light. Fear is simply a lack of love. And once you bring it up to the light, into the love. It will be healed, and the universe has got your back. That I can guarantee you will always be guided to whatever experience, whatever teacher you need to support you in that process. As long as we're willing, you're willing to be guided.
1: Let's give the listeners a little taste of your of your writing. Could you read the the um, part that starts my life? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So that was part of my childhood, and just to give you a bit
2: of a background. Um, I do not know who my father is. Um, my mom has been alcoholic for the past 30 years, and she would abandon me. And multiple times throughout my childhood, being in and out of my life. So my uh, and my grandmother was alcoholic, alcoholic as well. So my great grandparents raised me for the first 12 years of my life, being there in the early 80s. So this is going to give you a little, little taste of my life back then. So my life. As a seven-year-old girl was irreverent of the sacred safety, a young girl should deserve without interruption. Marceau and Miralda, my respective great-grandparents, had taken it upon themselves to rear the great-granddaughters in order to thwart the generational pattern of child abandonment, initiated by my maternal grandmother, Monique. My poor mother had also been put aside by my mother, the latter who was caught in eternal pursuit of pain-numbing beverages and harming princes who provided ample psychedelic relief. My great-grandparents had survived World War II, the loss of a baby boy in the hands of the Nazis, the rearing of their four children plus one grandchild, and now they were consecrating the last living decade to the rearing of two young girls. We lived in a modest yet cozy home built in the wake of the French Revolution, in the outskirts of Evreux, a provincial town in Normandy, settled in the Gallo-Roman period. It was one of the oldest towns in France, and it was located halfway between Paris and the English Channel. Grandpa would eagerly take his daily trek to the town bakery and the deli to buy a fresh and fragrant baguette and his beloved tobacco. Well into his late 70s, Marceau had a valiant strength to him, a colossal and protective father figure for me, he exuded a quiet, poised authority and a physical robustness that was only amounting to the devout love in his heart.
1: Lena, part of what touched me so much about that is that uh, I I sit with people, you know, every day as a therapist, and many of them are talking about difficult events in their life. And I noticed that they... Um, that if they've had someone to love them the way that your great-grandfather loved loved you, it's easier to, it's, recovery seems more available. Right. Do, you, do you think so as well?
2: You know, I think so. Although it wasn't always the case, I think once that, you know, when they passed away, it was extremely difficult for me to recover. And then I was um, sent to, you know, um, a foster family right after his passing. That was extremely um, severe and, and abusive, and there was just absolutely no love, and I was really led to believe every single day that was worth nothing. That was just a disgusting human being that came from an alcoholic mother. Uh, so I was dealing with that and also just the grief, you know, really wanting to be in contact with the spirit of my good-grandfather, and it actually took me seven years to stop crying when I would just think about him, when I would just talk about him, you know? Um, yes.
1: I'm, I'm not that, saying easy or quick, but somewhere uh, in your memory banks is that yeah, love. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely.
2: And that's also why I do what I do today, to really honor the memory. And they gave, you know, so much to me and my younger sister. Uh, and I had that love in my heart forever. And no
1: one can take that away from me. No one. Nothing. And it gives you, it, it gives people. you perhaps, regardless of all the other messages, uh, perhaps a different conception of yourself you know if, if he loved you there must be some place in you that's lovable I don't know if you were consciously aware of that though it sounds as if the situation you were in really tried to beat that out of you in a sense
2: yes yes and I think for me because my mom would you know consistently abandon me and and you know take me into dangerous situations uh, situation that really did nothing that well since my mom doesn't love me Although my grandparents are taking care of me, when I was a child, I did not perceive it that, you know, that way I would perceive it or I was just a reject and it was just a burden on them to raise me and they never made me feel like that. But that's mm. kind of how I perceived it to be. Um, and the fact that I also never knew my biological father, um, you know, was always kind of, you know, a hindrance. Um, but it definitely, you know, helped me realize that, you know, they were able to love me. Then, you know, I know that is, there are two beings in this world that love me unconditionally, you know.
1: Mm. so that that has more that has had more impact since you uh came through your hardest time, maybe maybe that's a better way to say it, huh yeah, that that, that I mean, love yes. has come back to back
2: home to you right and I think that the love honestly for me that has you know a tremendous impact uh has been the love of God. you know ever since I was a little girl, I never believed in God, I just knew. God existed. I knew that He was my Father um, in heaven. I always kind of had that unwavering trust and faith you know, in God that He existed. And, you know, I you at a very, very young age. Um, I used to have a really different uh, perspective and understanding of God, which was sometimes a little scary because I always thought that He was a punishing and judgmental God. But uh, I would definitely say that was the, the main pattern that has taken me where I am today. It was just my, my trust and love forget really knowing that there's nothing that I can do in this world that will make him love me less.
1: How do you think you retain that in such a situation?
2: Honestly, um, I think it's, it was a miracle. I think it was something I believe that I was gifted with. Hmm. You know, and also, you know, with really taking chances in a sense that, you know, when I follow my internal guidance, and when I experience a miracle, when I experience an answer being a prayer being answered, although it might not always be answered in the form that I expect it is always answered. So every single experience forms a reference point for me that I can look back on the last two years and I can look back on every, you know, on my past challenges uh, and growth spurts that were painful and look and I can see how that is serving my purpose today. And that was orchestrated by your force that is much stronger, far beyond what I could do for myself. You know, and that force is working yes. on everyone's behalf all the time. We just sometimes get unaligned, disaligned with that force. You
1: know? Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to hear more about okay. uh, your experiences and how you got where you are now. Okay. Uh, you know, go to my host page, listeners. Get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to get in touch with Lena, it's lenajones.com. We'll be right back.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. real-life solutions voice america health and wellness
0: you are listening to good grief with cheryl jones
1: welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website www.weatheringgrief.com. Today I'm speaking with Lena Jones, a writer whose book from Ashes to the Moon comes out in 2015. So Lena, let's let's continue talking about the losses that you experienced along the way that that contributed to that dark night of the soul you were talking about. Uh I just had the feeling that you know there's there's kind of the category of your loss, which is maybe losing your mother, alcoholism. but to me it it felt uh, it felt as if there there were numerous ongoing losses. Is that how you experienced it?
2: Yes, maybe not back then, but I mean, definitely the loss of love. you know, anyone who had ever loved me. Then my great grandparents, which obviously was involuntary, or my mother, or my sec- you know, my foster parents, you know, or my first husband. Um, I always felt that well, anyone who loved me pretty much lives me, you know, so that was definitely a recurring pattern that almost I was always prepared to um, to experience. But now in retrospective I realized that the blessing was that I was a lost layers of myself. The self that I had been conditioned to believe that it could be replaced with a concept of self that was so much more powerful and that is ultimately invulnerable to anything that occurs in the external world. Because as in our self-identification, whether we believe that we, we already have everything that we need within us, whether we believe that we are loved perfectly by, you know, by or divine creator, or whether we believe that does not come from within. You know, uh, we are heirs to the laws that we believe in. So, um, if we identify ourselves with a very powerful self, then that's going to be our life experience. So I realized that from the get go, from my birth on, I kind of had to give down self, which was a blessing in disguise, that I didn't realize
1: until the past few years. Uh huh. Well, and, and also, I think, I think, uh, we can see the learning we've gotten as a blessing once we've gotten it. It's so hard to see yeah. anything good about it when we're, when we're going through it. Yes? Yes, yes absolutely. It took me, a little, you know I it took me, I did
2: not really begin to transform my internal life until I was about 32. You know, my good grandparents died until I was 12. And then mm-hmm. I came to this country, I was 20. And then, you know, um, the following 10 years, there was just a lot of pain internally and you know that um i did not know how to express i didn't know how to deal with you know so uh, it was a long process but i really have learned to trust the process you skip anything if I, every single experience was so hugely formative for me and it's really taught me the value of the process and not trying to force things to happen. Just trust that you will be healed in perfect timing because if we bypass any steps in our healing, if we bypass any steps in our evolution, we now might not be able to help someone else who is going through that same step right now. We I appreciate
1: I really appreciate you saying that because um I do think there's sort of a um an idea out there that if you just think differently you know, you can make everything perfect as opposed to, you actually have to go through whatever there is, whatever pain there is to get to the other end. For you, it was 21 years. Yes. Uh, so um, I appreciate that because I think the only real hope is if you if you know you can get to the other end of it, it's right. pretty hard to bypass it. Right. Um, and also
2: what I wish I had known, I wish someone would have told me, back then was that we are constant, co- constantly surrounded by so much love mm. and you know that now whenever I, I experience a really difficult challenge um, we never experience pain because I know that now I have to really let it out of me so either I will write about it or mm-hmm. I will speed my meditation and really allow it to come through me so that it can be transformed I also know that I am being so loved in that process by the universe, by God, by those who have passed, you know, by by, by angels. Um, and that really comforts me and helps me to trust the process that this is from the highest good. And until I transform that pain, it's going to be stuck within my heart. It's going to be to, to be holding me back. It's going to be a block of energy that is holding me back from living the life that I'm capable of living. So,
1: uh, yes. th- that that really connects with uh, something I was wondering about, which is uh, revisiting those experiences in writing about them. And I think I think I heard you just say you're you're revisiting them, but now you you're loved through it. Yes. You you know you're loved through it. Yes, when, I do. So let, why don't you read that other excerpt now because okay. it, it really captures in my mind mm. kind of the most heartbreaking, one mm. of the most heartbreaking parts of your story and, um, and yet you were able to, to write it, you were able to re-experiencing, re-experience that in order to share it and I think uh, that's very powerful.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And actually, this is perfect because I uh, will quickly um, say something before I read that segment. We often think that we are healed from a past wound until something triggers it and we realize, oh, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not quite healed from it yet. I just have not had to deal with it for years. So maybe a year and a half ago, um, I mean, you know, I, had, I thought I had forgiven my mom. I, have, I really honestly have no reason not to actually have compassion and empathy for her because I feel bad that she doesn't get to experience that much happiness in life. But anyway, mm-hmm. about a year ago, um, I still had some pain that was stuck in me. So I was like, you know what? That's it. Because I've got to practice what I preach, I'm going to sit down, let the tears flow, and really get to the bottom of this. And then I realized that there was still some pain from my mother's abandonment. So I still remember sitting down in my living room and letting the tears flow and remembering where my mom had come from and understanding why she had done what she'd done to me. So now let me read this segment, okay? I'll speak a little bit more about that, you know, meditative and and purging process. Okay, so here comes the second segment. The crisp air of the jet black night was blowing all around me, ravaging my messy braids as my mother's hand insistently pulled me forward, rushing me into the abandoned streets. We were heading home at last, and I was eager to find the snug comfort of the twin bed we sometimes shared. The street shutters were eerily shut. I had not seen a car since leaving the bar 30 minutes earlier. Mom, mom kept tripping over nothing, so I held onto her hand with some extra strength to support her balance. I looked up and caught a glance of her hard drained face. It made me worry that she might be gravely ill from the hours-long binge of beer drinking I had watched since lunch. I loved her so much, but she doesn't appear to to notice it. Today was our first afternoon together in over two months, and I was secretly hoping that she would stay with me for good this time around. We're almost home, my nana, she warmly announced. My heart smiled when I heard the loving tone of her voice, bolstering my confidence that she was not going to leave me again. She began to quicken her pace as we approached the block of my home. My eyes were fighting off fatigue. My meager legs were resisting each step. Wobbling in front of the stern shutters of my house, Mamma knocked violently on the wooden keepers. There was no doorbell. The knocking seemed to produce no results as I listened keenly for footsteps from inside, smiling up at my mother to see if she was also happy to be home. Abruptly, she turned, she turned from me and sprinted away as fast as she could. I shouted in pain. Mama, as I stood alone, feeling very small, watching her escape from me. She was gone again, and I just stood there weeping, my burst of hope annihilated. My heart was stinging. I cried out with all the force I had left, anything to rid my body of that awful sting, screaming into the stars and waking up my great-grandparents at once. That is it. Uh,
1: I really... can see that picture so clearly in my mind. And it made me think of my own children, my grandchildren uh, in a few years. They're not that old yet to be left. So abruptly out in the street, it just seems so crushing. Yes. Well, um,
2: thank you. Thank you so much. Um, honestly, the love, I mean, the joy that I get to have and just inspire one person a day, which is a poster that I make or a quote from my clients. It's so well worth that pain to look back and realize that really all those experiences in that pain no longer belongs to me, but it belongs to those who need, who need that hope, who feel mm-hmm. so filled with despair that they don't see the bright light at the end of the tunnel. And even just that is just so gorgeous. I'm infinitely grateful for everything I've gone through. And so that's the end of, it's not, there's never an end to the healing process, but it does get better when you get to that part where you realize, wow, look at what I get to do with this pain and how I get to turn my mess into a message, into helping others. You know, that's
1: just so powerful and empowering from within. You know? I do. The other thing I think is that when I have rough times now, I, I never have the fantasy I won't get through it. Mm. And I I think I used to believe there was that possibility that, mm. that uh, a Difficult time would crush me, mm.
4: uh,
1: but we're we 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 can't really have that fantasy anymore because we already got through the worst, huh? Right, exactly. When your grand when your great grandparents opened the door, did that? Do you remember if they said anything to you, or you know, here their their precious great grandchild is alone out on the street. Her mother has left. Uh, did Were they able to comfort you through that, or did they just kind of put you to bed? A little bit. I mean, usually they put me to bed. Um, and the reason why my mom would run
2: was so that my great-grandpa would not go after her because oftentimes my great-grandma would put me to bed. I mean, it was really late into late, the late hours of the night, you know. Um, so she would put me to bed, and she loved me dearly. She was not that affectionate, you know, physically. I mean... Her, her ways of showing me affection was, you know, she would, um, like, caress my head watching movie, or she would massage my feet. And that was, it. but it was never really any hugs. because the kisses, that's just kind of who well, she was. You know, she loved me so much. But then my great-grandpa, usually, he would try to run after her and, you know, to keep her home. And I do remember, you know, a couple of times when he was able to kind of get her and, and to stay home. And, you know, and I remember her coming by me, like, 10, 15 minutes later with my great-grandpa. Uh,
1: but that's why she would, like, just run away quickly so that he would not catch her. You know, um so Well that that must be so confusing too to to see him fighting with her to stay yeah. and maybe wondering if that makes her leave or uh right. you know, it's it's so hard to process those kinds of experiences as a little child, isn't it? Yes. Yes, and I remember actually I want to remember my my mom actually just like hitting my
2: great you know I mean she was in her early 80s and I mean you know she my mom was under the influence of alcohol and she didn't know what she was doing you know but uh, yes it was you know just confusing and um, but um, you know I think it we just, was we just part of, of, of my contract of my journey and um, so you know
1: well kids aren't very good interpreters we, right. we have the potential to get better at that as we grow older don't we Because one thing I'm hearing in everything you're saying is that you've developed uh, a real compassion for your mother and and everybody who Mm. hurt you. It sounds as if you've spent quite a bit of time trying to come to understand uh, what might have contributed.
2: Right. Absolutely. You know, uh, Cheryl, people don't act badly because they are bad, they act badly because they are wounded. They act out of their wounds. And and that was my process with my mother. I had to really understand that her mother had abandoned her as well. She had been raised with my great grandparents, never knew her dad either, and she was not blessed with the stubbornness and strength of character that I was born with. Mm. So, you know, and I really believe, you know, I'm a teacher of the metaphysical text A Course in Miracles. And A Course in Miracles teaches us that Every reaction, every behavior, is to be perceived as either love or call for love. So in my mother's case, everything that she was doing was a call for love. She did not know how to express what she needed, and was just too easily influenced by external forces that were not good for her.
1: Uh, you said something that really stood out there, Lena. That uh, she was not blessed with the with the strength and and purpose you were to get through it mm-hmm. uh, because you know, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what helps people get through very difficult times. Mm. And it's and it's two things, probably a certain or maybe more than two, but two that pop to my head right now. Probably a certain amount of stubbornness or strength yes. that you that and and a a um an idea that things can be learned from, experiences can be learned from. Uh, that they are not sentences. Yeah. And everything you're talking about reinforces that idea for me. Yes, you, absolutely. That the possibility isn't in eliminating the hard things, but in being able to believe you can you can, um, can learn. Yes? Right.
2: Yes. And actually, to even take that even further, is to actually change your perception of those events. Because as you change, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, and that is also highly relevant for the past ones, for things that people have done to you that you find difficult to, to forgive. So when you are willing to change the perception of those events, so for me, I changed, changed the perception of my mother, of my losses, of my abuse, of the people who abused me. Once I was able to change my perception, I was able to, to to really forgive them because I really began to look at them differently. And, you know, perception is everything. Projection Mm -hmm. makes projection, you know? So when we become willing to really look at them differently, our heart and our emotions will slowly begin to progress towards forgiveness and towards the release of that as well.
1: Well, the other thing you're released from there is being locked in um, a desire for revenge or... Yes. or harm, which, of that, course, is terrible to live with when, you, when you've been so hurt by someone that you want them to hurt. Yes. It, and I, I'm guessing that's got to have been true at some point, that there had to be some anger there. Yes, uh, you know, I think especially
2: towards my, my foster parents, um, because honestly, they didn't have any reasons to detest me the way they did. Um, you know, at the time... Um you don't have any reason to tell me, you know, that I was ugly or, you know, that to humiliate me and, and you know, to just um, to tell me that was worth nothing, to tell me that I was going to end up like my mother. I mean, I was just 14 and here, that, you know, you're going to end up like your mother, you know, like a prostitute or you will become an alcoholic and you're good for nothing. Uh, but again, I realized that clearly happy people don't make others miserable. So there was clearly someone healed wounds within them that they were just projecting onto me that they, had not, been de- that they not, had not been shown how to deal with. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough now to have those tools, to have that spiritual repertoire, the spiritual toolbox that allows me to understand and to really look at someone differently and to understand where they come from.
1: Yeah. It
2: doesn't mean it's easy, but... There
1: but are you, can. Yeah. So you can. Yeah. You can. As long as you're willing, yes. It's time for our second break. Okay. (laughs) Take this time to email or contact me through any of my social media listeners out there. You're really a part of this show, and it means a lot to hear from you. I also want to remind you that I'm available for individual and couples therapy in the San Francisco Bay Area, online throughout California, and I'm available to speak and consult with your group or organization pretty much anywhere. And please also find Lena Jones at lyna Be back soon.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now back to Good Grief.
1: Welcome back to Good Grief. My guest today is Lena Jones, a motivational speaker and writer who shares the story of a very difficult childhood in order to inspire people to live their best, best life. So, your life now is a long ways, both emotionally, spiritually, and geographically <laughs> from <Yeah. laughs> all those childhood experiences. How did you end up in the United States? Uh, well, I um, I moved to the U.S. Uh, to
2: actually follow love. You know, I really didn't know how much love behind me. You know, I had in to my second foster home, and I, didn't, I was not in contact with any of at the time. My mom was in and out of rehab, and I fell in love, you know, with an American uh, missionary. And I realized, you know, well, what do I have to lose? Nothing. So mm. I chose to follow my heart and, you know, to uh, follow the land of my dreams. And with her, you know, I'd always heard that you can make anything happen in America. You can become whatever you ever dream of becoming. And, um, you know, I went for it. Originally, I was only going to stay here for three months, and I ended up staying and got married, and uh, was living in Utah, you know, uh, for the first four years of my life, um, you know, in the United States. And it was divinely guided, you know. So I look back, and yes, of course, I was supposed to be here, and uh, it was just all perfectly orchestrated now, and I look back, you know.
1: So you kind of never, you never wanted to return to... To France after that, you you kind of felt like this was your place.
2: Yes, I mean especially now I always knew and I do believe that at some point I will be back and forth, you know, doing some work in France as well and speaking there and and you know doing some coaching work. And I, you know, I'm actually might just finish the you know my finish the last years of my life the last few decades of my life in southern France. But I know that I am exactly where I need to be right now, and also know that the more I abandon my personal agenda, the more I will be guided for exactly what I need to be doing for whoever I need to be. So I am, you know, we are, I really believe that we are always exactly where we are supposed to be. You know, so right now my work is here, and, and the fact that it was guided to New York, and I real honestly, I hated New York for the first five years. <laughs> i every single day. It was a difficult adjustment for me from the Midwest, expensive in New York, and now looking back, I've had so many amazing, transformative experiences met incredible people. I had to be here for me to do what I'm doing today. and I could not see that you know eight years ago now I'm sorry,
1: so just tough so I, have some, I somehow think, Lena, that wherever you were, you would make something of it that's beautiful.
2: Mm. you yeah, know as,
1: but, as long as you, you know, had a sense that there was a purpose in being there. Does that, does that seem to, true to you about yourself? Yes, it does now. You know, as I look
2: back with that perspective, and now that I really truly practice surrendering my individual with every single day, um, I can tell totally say that. At the time, I was really resisting anything that was not going my way because I was so unhappy with myself that I really felt that moving back to Utah or moving to a bigger apartment or moving somewhere else or getting a different job was going to be my salvation. I always thought that my happiness had to do with the external world, not with what was going on, with, you know, within me. Uh, but definitely, I was meant to be in Utah, and you know, and meet and my ex-husband and make other friends that I made, and and really grow within the Mormon faith. I was Mormon for ten years, and and I learned a lot, you know, from a spiritual perspective from my years, you know, um, in the LDS Church. So, and, and I also know that there are elements that we are not aware of that are serving others that we might not ever know. But I know that the universe is always orchestrating everything for the highest good of all involved. So I might have touched people or, you know, I will serve people, you know, that I'm not even aware of, but I was meant to be there at that time.
1: Hmm. I want to talk a little bit about you as a mother. Mm. Uh, do you have two children? Is that, yes? am I right? Are they both girls? Yes, two girls. So I want to hear a little bit from you about what it's like to mother them having not been mothered. Because I would think that would have uh, brought up a lot, you know, to be, to be nourishing them and nurturing them, mm-hmm. having not received that from your own mother.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What, what's that experience like for you?
2: Honestly, when they were born, I felt that I had finally, could finally receive the unconditional love that I had never gotten from my own mother. Um, and I also was able to actually create uh, my own parenting philosophy. I knew what I did not want to do. I knew what I wanted my daughters to learn. But honestly, it's been the greatest source of unconditional love. That definitely filled my heart. And I think at times I might be a little bit... Too easy on them because of that. Because I love them so much, and they're you know they're my source of love. Like I'm just so grateful for them. But in a sense, also look at the fact I'm not having had parents um, as a blessing because I get to raise them according to my own terms, not according to the paradigm
1: that uh, was conditioned that was that was pressed upon me growing up. You know what I mean? Yes. So, you inspire me to think about. Um, uh, teachings I've received uh, along the way that, that have stuck with me. And one of my teachers said at one point, when you have an unloving childhood, one of two things mm-hmm. happens. You learn how not to love, or you learn the value of love. Yes. And I, um, obviously, you're an example of learning the value of love. And so that's that's what you give them, huh? Yes. And I remember, in after...
2: My second daughter was born, um, and, you know, what was very interesting is after, as soon as she was born, like, she did not want to be taken away from Like, she always had, even a few hours after she was born, she had to be, she had to touch me. Like, she had to feel me, and that was so beautiful, so gorgeous to feel that another human being really just loved me that much. And, you know, there's just so much joy in that, you know, that's been just my, my greatest Joy. And I also look at them, and I realize I was able to break the chains of generational abuse, lovelessness, um, substance abuse, as well. And that you know, they they are the living proof of that. I mean, they will do with you know what they want with their life. Ultimately, you know what I mean? Because yes. children are who they are. Um, but that's just beautiful to see that everything that in that it's with them. I own my great grandparents, so I know that their fatigue, the efforts, their sacrifice. Did not go to waste.
1: And that's just great to remember mm. that. Beautiful. So there's a way that you changed the legacy of your family. Exactly. And everyone can. We are not our history. We do not have to be the pain of our past. Choosing to be
2: so will make it so. We don't have to. It's just a mm-hmm. choice. It's a process. It's going to be a healing journey. But today, you can give it all to God. Give it all to the universe. Ask to be guided. Ask for that light to guide your way on.
1: I can't wait to re- read your book. And I'd love you to share with the listeners what's going on with it right now. Because I know that you're, you are um, doing a campaign to support its publishing. Would that be yes. the best way to put it? Tell us yes, a little bit yes, about yes. that. So right now we are
2: doing a crowdfunding campaign and you can find it on um, fearlessbooks.com and uh, you can contribute on any level that you want and uh, according to the level of your contribution, you will either get coaching sessions with me, you will get a updates, you can get um, also um, an early copy, a print copy of my book and also 10% of the proceeds go to the uh, homeless National Homeless Coalition. Um because I want to get back and in a sense I was homeless growing up. So yes. uh you can find again you can find that campaign and you also on that page you can read excerpts from my book. You
1: can read um a little bit about each chapter on fearlessbooks dot com. Fearlessbooks dot com. Good yes. good to know. And um how did you come to decide to write a memoir? Because you could have just kept speaking. Uh, mm-hmm. About your experiences and and impacting people that way, but you decided okay. to write your whole story down. Was that a, a kind of natural evolution or uh, or a brainstorm? How did that come about? i mean, honestly, I was kind of you new. Know, I used to joke, and I'm going to write a book about my life. I think as
2: many of us do, but I until about a year and a half ago, I did not think that I had the skills to. So I did not consider myself to be a writer. Uh, but I I know that the perfect plan for our self-actualization is already in the universe. We just have to download it into our consciousness. So um, when I began that journey of healing, I began to feel, okay, within the next two or four years, you are going to write your book because your story is needed out there. People need to know that there is a higher, better, more loving way out of pain and out of sorrow and out of abuse. But I didn't think we are going to be ready yet. Until, you know, and really when we reconnect to internal teaching, when we reconnect to the loving voice within us, then we are guided to whatever experience we need to fulfill our mission, to fulfill our purpose. So actually, about this time last year, I was strongly guided to attend a hair house writer's workshop in San Francisco. And I had heard about it for many months and I thought, you know, it's uh, it's way out of my way. I do not want to spend the money for the ticket. I do not want to spend the money to, you know, to stay in a hotel. So it just does not make sense But that voice did not go away. So let's just say I went, I prayed, I was sign, I went. I met Marianne Williamson, began a book proposal, and then um, did the whole book proposal process to me about six months. Then I was, you know, fortunate enough to come into contact with D. Patrick Miller, who was also the publisher of the blockbuster, The Disappearance of the Universe. Mm-hmm. And then I just got my contract. But, you know, I did not think what happened that quickly. But again, as long as you are willing to get out of your way, as long as you're willing to believe that of our own power, we cannot do much. and we rely on a power that is much greater than we are, miracles can occur. That's exactly what happened.
1: You know, it's, it's, uh, there are two parts of that story I hear. One, the miracle part and the other doing your part part <laughs> yes. you, you did your part you said okay I'm resisting this on all kind of levels but it keeps talking to me I guess I'll just go ahead and do it
2: right
1: yes yeah so, and I was I had a lot of fear you know so much fear fear of the writing or fear of of following mm-hmm. your your uh, desires or what was the fear well, I was, um, I, I had a writer's block for about six months. And then I was, uh,
2: I had a lot of fear going to San Francisco because, you know, I really believe that the closer you get you protest, the more resistance you're going to experience. Uh But then I thought, you know, if I cannot conquer my fear, who am I? How can I teach my message? So, um, you know, and I tried, and that's for friends, is this the right thing for me to do? What would you have me do? And I was guided. I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter what I, not, what I have to lose, just money. And I, and I decided to go. And, and I had an amazing experience in San Francisco that confirmed to me that now was the time for me to write my book. You know, uh, but I also had a fear of writing, and now I know that it, everyone, every single individual, is given gifts in order to bring about his or her message. It's just intrinsic. My gifts are to inspire to the written and the spoken words don't I was willing to own that and to understand that although it is in me, it is not of me, I was not able to liberate myself from the fear in order
1: for it to come forth. Hmm. So this so this thing you thought you didn't have within you, you actually had with bells on. Yes. <laughs> so to right, speak. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Well it's it's certainly been a tremendous pleasure having you today and if you ever come to San Francisco again I live right across the bay so oh, you must absolutely. you must visit I would love to I meet will. you in person <laughs> Absolutely I love it's the city of my heart you know I mean that trip was so
2: significant for me and there's just something about San Francisco that I just cherish I love it
1: it's, it's a one-of-a-kind place. I haven't been everywhere, but I do love it here.
2: <laughs> so,
1: so, again, just thank you so much for being with us today. And listeners, you can find Lena at lenajones.com. Support a book by joining her campaign and contributing in whatever small or large way you, you can, uh, because I, I think it will be an important thing to be out in the world, this book. Thank Next you. week, Thank you. you're so welcome. Next week, join me when I welcome Chelsea Henson, who began writing poems to imagine what her lost loved one would say if they could write from where they were now. This resulted in a business selling short poetry books of comfort to greed, grievers. That's going to be a lot of. Uh, poetry, which I love. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief.